as I said earlier, our Lenten journey is about halfway over. Can you believe that? And we soon will be facing the cross and the empty tomb together. At Kingstown, we have been talking about giving up something pretty peculiar for Lent. And those of you who have been here every week already know what this is, but since repetition is the mother of learning, we are going to say it again. We decided that, you know, just going on a diet for Lent is not enough. It's actually kind of shallow, right? Like abstaining from something so you can lose a few pounds, When Easter rolls around and you can just pick that thing right back up again, it's like, well, what really was the point? I mean, what was the point of the whole thing? So at Kingstown, rather than doing just all of that, it's great to deny yourself. But instead of just doing all of that, we've decided to give up going to church for Lent. We've talked about becoming the church, about being the church instead of going to church. Just to catch you up here, or to jog your memory for those of you who have been here, the first week we talked about being the people called the church by being a bit foolish, a bit risky with our faith. Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his his head, and therefore, if you are my followers, you don't have a place to lay your head either. And this sounds kind of a bit foolish to us. The second week, we talked about being the church by being blameless. That the way we're taught of blamelessness, of innocence, of being pure, is actually most of the time blameful. And to be blameless is to actually blame less. And Jesus says if we do that, we will see Satan fall like lightning. The whole big idea that I want us to walk away with this Lent is that Jesus never calls us to go to church. Not once. If you look at the landscape around, though, everybody says that the point of this whole thing is to get more people to go to church. And this way of thinking has raised a generation of people who church shop all the time. You just shop for the church. Until you find the one that you like, the one where the, per- the sermon is exactly how you'd have it, the music is how you'd have it, the style and the people are how you would have them. You continue to mark on every connection card, just visiting, or visiting again, never making a commitment. Because you got to find that place where you're going to be fed. Have you heard this language before, this being fed language? Which means, I'm going to spell my gum, because my husband is going to be really mad at me. <laughs> One second. <laughs> I could hear the, the microphone, um, I could hear the microphone picking up my chewing. So this language of being fed... As I say fed and I'm chewing, yes. Um, So this language of being fed, we hear it in church all the time. Being fed means that it's the church's job. It's the church's, it's uh, it's the staff and the leadership of the church. It's our responsibility to just keep serving you up a pile of food, something that you can consume, and then you keep coming back to that buffet, But after a while, if you keep eating the same thing, the buffet gets a little stale. You're not sure about that buffet anymore. 
if they sing that hymn one more time, if she uses the word communion for everything one more time, if they start worship late one more time, if they ask me to help out one more time, if they talk about money one more time, and you get tired of feeding on the same thing, and so you just start shopping again. And so the goal is to quit going to church because the provocative call of Jesus isn't to show up nominally on time to an event once a week. Which means that if you're missing in church, if you're missing in worship, the church is actually less the church. If you are the church, the church suffers when you're not with us. So the whole church shopping mentality that the church is something you consume is actually the opposite of what God intends. That if you are the church, then it suffers without you. You are the big toe that's been cut off and has thrown the church completely off balance. The word um, ecclesia means the gathered, the word church in the New Testament, the gathered. Anytime there is a group of people gathered around the mission of Jesus, there is church. And Jesus calls the church to act in very specific ways, which is what we are walking through in this series. And I've said this every week, but I will say it again. This does not mean I'm telling you to not come to this place. This is not church. This is the people of God in worship. This is the church singing together, passing the peace together. This is the church taking Eucharist together. But it's not the church. That's something that the church does. You, ecclesia, the gathered people, you are the church. Now, I hope you, I hope you notice something. I hope you notice that um, the crowds get a little bit thinner and thinner this time of year. The deeper and deeper we venture toward the cross. That's because this time of year, Jesus is kind of hard to be gathered around. The crowds gather around, and as he gets closer and closer to the cross, he gets more and more cantankerous, this Jesus, and hard to be around. So the crowds, they start thinning out a bit. This week, Jesus, as the crowds begin to scatter, says, if you want to be with me, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to learn how to be hateful. Anybody who loves their life, who loves their life, it's as good as dead. It's gone. And anybody who hates their life in this world will keep it forever. And the crowd gets thinner and thinner and thinner. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to go where I go, says Jesus. And where I go is a place of suffering and death. And the crowds get thinner and thinner. So, the curmudgeons in the room, the cynics, the skeptics, this is your sermon. 
if basically all you've ever been told is that Christians are a quivering mass of syrupy, sweet goo who just love everybody. That's what we're supposed to do. We're just supposed to love everybody, and we're just supposed to love everybody. That's all. Jesus says it's actually, it's actually also about hate. Hating like me. But we might be right to be a little nervous when a religious figure starts spewing hate speech. I mean, after all, in our world, this is when towers begin to fall and words like martyrdom get thrown around and all hell breaks loose. And so before we charge out into the world ready to be hateful, it might be good to know what it means to be hateful like Jesus. To be hateful in the world so that all heaven breaks loose. And it may be helpful to do that in the negative. So that's what we're going to do. Let's talk about what it's not. Hating like Jesus is not hating people who are not like you. In fact, hating like Jesus is probably not hating people at all. Pretty obvious. One of the ways you can know that um, you've made God in your own image is when God hates all the same people you hate. Think of the most detestable person right now whoever that is in your life. Hating like Jesus, it's never couched in hating other people. This is especially important because Jesus tells us to hate today in John's gospel. And John's gospel has forever been named the gospel of love. Why John's gospel? I mean, it could have easily been Luke or Matthew who are snarky all up and down most of the time. But it's in John's gospel, and it's, it's hard to know who's in and who's out in John's gospel. In the very beginning of John, we get a picture of the entire universe being created and being held in loving communion with God. And then at the very end of John, the entire universe being saved by, by God. It's hard to know who's in and who's out in John's gospel. Most of the time you hear religiosity thrown around as hating someone or hating, if you hear it thrown around at all, it's hating those folks who don't share your faith or your way of being. In John's gospel, Jesus has this kinky phrase that we talked about in last spring's sermon series hey, I've got people, not a part of this fold. You don't even know them yet. It is hard to know who's in and who's out in John's gospel. When I was young and growing up in um, fairly fundamentalist Pentecostal church, um, long hair, long skirts, all that jazz, I was pretty convinced that what was wrong with the world we're all those liberals. 
I mean, that was the problem. They were just becoming wishy-washy and gelatinous, and they weren't holding firm to the tenets of the faith. And so the whole world was just going to hell in a handbasket because of liberal secularism. And then I went to college, and I got educated. And I was quickly informed that it was the conservatives (laughs) that were the problem. I was told that the conservatives are now narrow-minded, and so many of them are bigoted. And they're the ones, they're the ones we should really hate for dragging down the church. All their rules and their regulations, they're clearly the problem. And then I went to grad school, seminary, and I realized that the problem really wasn't the liberals or the conservatives. Those are actually kind of sophomoric accusations, The real problem is actually the larger institution. The liberal and conservatives are eh, just words. Those are just words that institutions use to keep people divided so that they can control them. It actually, it's actually the pawns, the puppeteers up at the top. They're the ones controlling the institutions. Those are the people to hate, right? And then as I made my way towards the end of seminary, I kind of realized that some people presume that they are better than institutions, that they think they can just opt out of institutionalism, those atheists and agnostics, and they just say, well, church, it's just not for me. It's actually those people, those people are the ones we should hate for dragging people away from the church They're the problem because they jump ship. They jump ship without doing the hard work of restoration or of figuring it out. Now here's the problem. The more I walk with Jesus, the more Jesus shows up in liberals and conservatives in my life. The more I walk with Jesus, Jesus shows up in bishops and atheists in my life. My problem now is that I've been following Jesus too long to even know who to hate anymore. Hating like Jesus is not hating people. The second thing, this may be a stretch for those in the room, but, you know, I think to address it is important. Just in case you've ever soaked up this kind of theology, I did at one point in my life. Hating like Jesus is not hating this world. There's a movement afoot within the church that says that the whole point of Christianity is to get us to heaven, and that means that if we are trying to get to heaven, we as Christians should actually hate this world right here, right now. And anything that you do that endears this world... Well, it's taking you further and further away from Jesus. I've got a second cousin who really buys into this, so much so that she won't recycle. Because recycling, she thinks, is tipping your hat to this world. And this world is quickly fading away. So 
don't love this world. Don't waste your time here. That is not hating like Jesus either. Jesus actually seems to care deeply about this world. Jesus may actually love this world. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, is doing works of restoration and reclamation. And it begins with this work of bodily resurrection we see in Jesus. Jesus is not some hologram. Jesus is flesh and blood in the resurrection. And therefore, there's this grand reclamation of the physical body and of the physical world. The world matters. Hating like Jesus isn't hating this world, it's loving it. There's a story that's told at the church of St. Francis of Assisi. That's where St. Francis is from. It goes, um, one time this priest is walking through uh, the gardens that he cares for on a daily basis, and uh, they have this shrine there to St. Francis. And as he's going through the gardens, he sees a homeless man who is asleep on a bench, clothes tattered, no shoes, snoring, with his feet propped up on the relic of St. Francis. And this is all wrong. And so he wakes him up and he says, hey, this is not a homeless shelter. And that is not a footstool. That's our relic of St. Francis. You can't put your feet on that which is sacred. And as the legend tells it, the homeless person put his feet down and he said, that's fine. I'll move my feet, but please, please show me something that is not sacred. Such is the theology born of Jesus. The world matters, creation matters, bodies matter. Hating this world does not mean hating people or hating creation. So what does it mean then? The word Jesus uses in this passage for world is cosmos. Its primary definition means systems. The systems of this world are broken and bent towards oppression, towards domination, towards captivity. Hate this system, Jesus says. Any system be it economic, be it theological, be it sociological, that oppresses, that takes people captive, that domineers, hate it with a holy and righteous indignation. Hate the world's systems. It's like our operating system is infected by a virus. And there is no way to continue to love and operate in this system and to continue to love and worship God. You have to have a come-to-Jesus moment when you're in this system, which is hard for us to do. It's hard for folks like us to do. Those of us who have actually become pretty good at manipulating the world's systems because they favor us. 
The call to discipleship is to hate the world's systems as they are, even if they have been pretty good to you. Because we have to ask, have they been oppressing someone else? It's a call to conversion. It's the same conversion that someone from AA goes through. They've been oppressed by alcohol, and so they now loathe the stuff. They loathe the captivity they were once in with a holy and righteous indignation. It's the, it's the kind of freedom found from credit card being released from credit card debt, maybe some, through something like FPU, and the person now loads, they spit on credit card applications as they come through the mail with a holy and righteous indignation. It's like somebody who grew up in an abusive family system who was in a relationship of abuse, and they somehow found their way out of it. And now they just get sick to their stomach, sick to their stomach when they can sniff any abuse happening to anyone else. I wonder, I wonder what from your past life God has brought you out of that deserves your hatred. I wonder what economic practices, what abuse, what addiction, what religious underpinnings, what privilege, what sin God has slayed within you in your life that you are being called to hate anew today. Because every week we gather at this table where we believe God gives release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind. We believe what happens here is God sets free the oppressed. And this comes with a righteous and a holy indignation and hatred of the systems that oppress. Wherever you find people gathering around Jesus and hating systems that are antithetical to God, you'll find Jesus standing there saying, yeah, that, that maybe not just on Sunday, but also Monday through Friday, yeah, that, those people... That's my church. 